you know, I mentioned that you haven't seen me in a while, but I do want to say the people that you have seen, and I, I looked it up last night, and I think it was about 11 or 12 weeks that you've seen Pastor Foster and our praise team, and you don't see them, but you see our, our sound people are here. And so what I want to do as I knock that pencil off is I just want to thank them. And again, for those that are online, clap if you want to. But I just have an appreciation for what they've done these last 12 weeks. Um, it's not been uh, easy. It's been a learning curve, and they've done a great job so that we can have uh, church still, even though we are not always in this place. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. We're going to be in John chapter 15, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And as you're turning there, I want you to listen to this story. Uh, there was a small town in Texas where one year the school burned to the ground with the loss of more than 200 lives because they didn't simply have a sprinkler system. They began to rebuild after the initial shock had passed, and then they called in the foremost company in fire prevention equipment to install a sprinkler system. When the new school was opened for public inspection, guides pointed out the new sprinkler systems in each room to alleviate any fears of another disaster. The school operated without incident for a number of years, then they needed to add on to the existing structure. So as work progressed, they made a startling discovery. A new fire extinguishing equipment, the new fire extinguishing equipment had never been connected to the water supply. They had the latest in technology and equipment, yet it was entirely useless. This morning, I want us to look at what it means for us as believers to, to abide in Christ. We too have everything that we need in Jesus, but are we actually connected to the supply? The last verse in John chapter 14 tells us that Jesus and the disciples are about to leave the upper room. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray his great high priestly prayer, and will later be arrested by the mob that's led by Judas. In chapter 15, Jesus is pictured for us as the true vine. I can imagine that Jesus and these men are going through the darkened streets of the city, then passing beyond the walls into the surrounding countryside. During that time of the year, probably around mid-April, grapevines would be beginning to blossom with the promise of a fresh harvest. As Jesus walked with his disciples, perhaps he reached out and took a vine in his hands and he used it to teach them an object lesson for his disciples. Again, his desire here is to teach them about the most vital relationship that they have in their lives, the one that is with Jesus and his Father. And that's what we need to look at this morning, our relationship with God. Many of us uh, sit here, whether that's in the building or at home, and we wonder, how are we supposed to do the work of the Lord? How are we uh, to produce this kind of fruit in our own lives? We're going to find the answers in these verses today, this morning. Because this passage is all about becoming a genuine disciple, a genuine follower of Jesus. And it's about how to bear fruit for the glory of the Lord. So let's take a few minutes this morning to view this portrait of Jesus as the true vine and see how he can become, how we can become more like him. Uh, for those in the room that are willing and able, um, please stand and join me in reverence as we read God's word. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. 
God's word says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this is my Father, by this my Father is glory, glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you again uh, that you are the true vine, that God, that you are our true supply, that anything we may need, we can find in you. God, I pray that as we dig a little deeper into this scripture, that it's made abundantly clear what you would have for us today. Uh, ultimately, that you want us to abide in you, God, that, the, that you desire relationship with us, your children. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, according to this passage, it is clear that it's impossible to bear fruit without abiding in Christ. Bearing fruit means both growth and producing good works. What are good works? Let me see. I can hear it too. Is that better, Bo? All right, perfect. Let's start that right over. According to this passage, it is clear that it is impossible to bear fruit without abiding in Christ. Bearing fruit means both growth and producing good works. Those good works are greater holiness, increased selflessness, and more steadfast love. But also abiding in Christ means making disciples of Jesus. There's four things that I want us to look at this morning. Uh, the first is this. When abiding in Christ, we need to expect to be pruned. When abiding in Christ, expect to be pruned. If we look at verses 1 through 3 again, it says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. God as the vine dresser uses two primary methods of purifying his vineyard. First, he challenges the branch. Take away means to lift up or to rise higher, to raise higher. That is, the vine dresser will take the unfruitful branch and he will lift it from the dirt in which it has fallen, giving it a better chance to be productive. On a personal level, this means that when we get to a place in our Christian lives where we are unfruitful and we're barren, the Lord will have to reach into our lives, unsettle the stagnation, 
and he will lift us up in effort to challenge us and shock us to growth. There are times when the Lord can only accomplish this through his discipline. Has God been challenging any areas in your life? If so, my encouragement to you today is do not run from God's challenge. Instead of running from God, turn and run to him. After all, his discipline is always proof of his love for us and our relationship to him. Revelation 3.19 says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So not only does God challenge the branch, he also cleanses the branch. That is, the vine dresser removes things from the branch that take away its vitality and its strength. Things like useless buds, misdirected shoots, or discolored leaves or spots. Anything that consumes life but produces no fruit must go. Let me say that again. Anything that consumes life but produces no, no fruit must go. So that is in the life of the believer. When we allow things into our lives that hinder our walk with the Lord, then we are in danger of a pruning. In Greek, the word for prune in verse 2 can also mean cleanse. Listen to this, church. Sometimes following Christ entails suffering and pain. We're never promised an easy life and no troubles and no problems. But sometimes following Christ entails suffering and pain. True disciples, those who are attached to the vine of Christ, can take comfort, though, in the fact that during these times of pruning, during these times of discomfort, God is cleansing them and bringing them into greater holiness. Come what may, God's purpose in pain is that we bear more fruit. So why does pain happen? Why does cancer happen? Why do bad things happen? Why are we in the middle of a pandemic? Why uh, race relations are the way that they are? Why are things broken? And what can we do in this pain? But what, or why would God allow this? But we need to understand that the purpose in pain is that we may bear more fruit. That's not our perspective, church, but it needs to be. There's two things here that when we expect to be pruned that we can we find out through pruning and first it's this pruning brings more fruit pruning brings more fruit pruning by its very name sounds painful and it isn't always easy to cut the junk from our lives but if we don't do it the lord surely will notice the advice given in hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and here's the important part let us also lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us so closely. And then let us run the, with endurance the race that is set before us. So how is this kind of um, pruning accomplished? Through the word of God. Like a mirror, the word of God reveals problems. And like a knife, the word of God cuts to the heart. The question this morning is this, has the Lord been speaking to you through his word? We tell our students all the time, you can't know the truth unless you're in the truth. We can't know what God's will is for our lives unless we're reading his word, we're spending time in it daily. So, what has the Lord been speaking to you through his word? Are you spending time in it? 
If so, have you been heeding the call from the Lord or have you ignored it? Do you know that God has convicted you of something and has called you to do something, yet you refuse? If not, then I challenge you to allow the Lord to prune your life with this word. Allow God's word to prune us. If that's not accomplished, and this is, this is the truth, and it's scary, but we need to hear it. If it's not accomplished, then he will take further and far more drastic measures to do so. God's going to get your attention one way or another. I'd much rather it be through reading his word and being in obedience to him. So first we see that pruning brings more fruit. Secondly, I want us to see that God subtracts in order to add. God subtracts in order to add. God never prunes or trims just to take something away. Cutting away always has a goal. If God takes something away, it's because he has something better for us. I have a friend in ministry that always says, a no now is for a greater yes later. If God tells us no, he closes the door, it's because he's going to open a greater one at another time. His timing and his will is perfect even when we don't see it. It's all though as if God were saying this to us, let me take out the bad and I'll replace it with good. I'll take out that root of bitterness and I'll replace it with a heart of forgiveness. I'll take out the hatred and I'll replace it with love. I'll take out fear and replace it with faith. I'll take out anxiety and worry and stress and I'll replace it with peace. In verse three, we're made clean because of the word but there can be even more growth, there can be more faith, there can be more grace, more kindness, more love, and more joy. Pruning may hurt at the time and in that moment, but if we trust in the Lord, he will bring about which is good. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 says this, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. Secondly, what I want us to see today is that when abiding in Christ, abiding is the key to bearing fruit. Abiding is the key to bearing fruit. Verses 4 through 6 again say this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. In verse 4, Jesus gives the commandment to abide in me. So that's the key. The branch has to abide in the vine in order to produce fruit because of what it receives. It needs the source, the life, the strength, and the power from the vine. But we have to abide. We have to make the decision whether to abide or be disconnected from the vine. How foolish is it of us to think that we can live apart from the author of life? How foolish is it for us to think that we can live apart from the author of life? Verse five, the second part of verse 5 says this, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Somebody might say, I don't need God. I don't need him telling me what to do. I'll figure this out on my own. Unless you abide in the vine, you have no life, and you will wither and die. Abiding in Jesus requires two clear components. Seeking God in his word, which is 
one of the things we've discussed already. And then secondly, petitioning him in prayer. Listen to the story. A retired teacher was giving her little nephew some help with his schoolwork. He was normally a good, attentive child, but on this occasion, he couldn't fix his mind on his work, probably because he was having to do it via Zoom for the last three, four weeks, uh, right? But he couldn't focus his mind on the work at, on hand. Suddenly, he said, Aunt Sally, may I kneel down and ask God to help me find my marble? She told him, go ahead. So the little boy knelt by his chair, closed his eyes, and prayed silently. Then he got up and went on his, with his lessons contently. The next day, his aunt was almost afraid to ask about the prayer request. She was a little worried that if he didn't find the marble, that his simple faith would be damaged. She finally decided to ask anyway and said to him, Well, dear, did you find your marble? No, was the reply, but God has made me not want to. The faith of a child. His prayer request was that God would change his heart that he would no longer want the marble. When we abide in Christ, especially in prayer, I believe that we develop and grow into a healthy branch that conforms to God's image. He changes our heart's desires, and he helps us to trust in his actions in our lives, even when it hurts, even when we don't understand it. What we need to understand is prayer is the strongest form of abiding that there is. God's not a genie. We don't get to ask for wishes. But God knows the desires of our hearts. He knows the number of hair on your head. The detail of God's knowing of us is intimate because he's our creator, the author of life. Abide in me and I in you. We are already positionally in Christ. That is, we are in relationship with Jesus as believers. But now we're also told to abide in Christ. This abiding clearly depends on ongoing cooperation. It takes two to tango. We've got to do our part. We've got to make an effort. Thus, it is, taking a, it is talking about our fellowship with him, abiding in his presence through prayer and reading of his word. Again, a branch, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. A branch cannot bear, a, a branch cannot be fruitful alone or by its own power. It needs to receive the life from the vine. The branch must open itself up to the vine and depend and draw upon it. So it's the source, so its source can flow into and through it. It is up to us to abide in Christ by actively drawing on his life in faith. The fruitfulness of a branch depends on the connection between it and the vine. How much and how consistently the branch draws from the vine. So it matters how often and how much. Think about this. If we just draw from God's life, from his word, just once a week, we can't bear much fruit. If I show up on a Sunday morning and I've got Bible in tow and I open it when the preacher is reading it and then I close it, man, that's a great message. I go to my car, I put it in there and it stays in my car until the next Sunday morning. And I spend no time in this. And the only time I pray is for meals or if something bad is happening. 
if we're not consistently drawing from the vine, we can't bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This dramatic statement means anything we do or produce apart from our abiding in Christ will have no lasting value. Anything you do apart from God has no lasting value. It reinforces our need to abide. And once we realize this, we will be motivated to depend continually upon him, not just occasionally or in times of crisis. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. In times of war, to get out from the secure position of the trenches was to risk destruction by the enemy. As believers, we are to remain in Christ, but to get out from our secure position of abiding in Christ is to risk destruction by the enemy. When we're not abiding in Christ, we risk destruction. S.D. Jordan tells of a spring storm that broke a large limb on his cherry tree. Although it hung on a very small strand, to his surprise, the blossoms came anyway. Later, some fruit began to grow as it did on the other branches. He noticed, however, that only those in full contact with the tree bore fruit, and much fruit of that, while the partially severed branch produced only a scarce supply. As believers, we must be careful about our spiritual connections, making sure that we are fully abiding in Christ. The fruit produced, whether much or little, tells the story. Corey Ten Boone says this, Connected with him and his love, I am more than conqueror. Without him, I am nothing. Thirdly today, I want us to see when abiding in Christ, bearing fruit is a lifelong effort. Bearing fruit is a lifelong effort. We look at verses 7 through 9. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's important to have the right tools uh, if you're going to have a fruitful life. According to a story, uh, a psychologist at Stanford University once tried to show that we live for productive results, or what Jesus referred to as fruit. So we live for results. This researcher hired a logger and said, I will pay you double what you get paid in the logging camp if you'll take the blunt end of this axe and just pound this log all day. You never have to cut one piece of wood. Just take the end that is blunt and hit it as hard as you can, just as you would if you were logging. After half a day, the man quit. The psychologist asked, why did you quit? The logger said, because every time I move an axe, I have to see the chips fly. If I don't see the chips fly, it's no fun. It is crucial to remember that our contentment is not determined on our circumstances. Sometimes God might hand you an axe and say, use the blunt end. God, I don't want to do that. It's not fun because I don't get to see the fruits of my labor. I don't get to see results. But it's crucial to remember that our contentment is not determined by circumstances. 
We often want to blame our circumstances for our discontent. Contentment is determined by what we believe. I think that needs to be repeated. Contentment is determined by what we believe. And our belief is fueled by what we are seeing. So we need to lay aside the weight, just like we read earlier in chapter 12 of Hebrews. We need to put aside the weight of discontentment. The sinful kind that stems from disappointment that leads to grumbling. How do we do that? How do we not complain and grumble and be discontent? First, we need to begin by looking at what you're looking at. Contentment comes by seeing the true treasure, which is Jesus. Consider the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we participate in these, isn't that us bearing fruit? Think, when Jesus gave a basic single command just a few steps away from the vineyard, he said to his disciples to love one another. That happens to be the very first fruit of the Spirit. Frankly, there are lots of ways that we can bear fruit. Titus 3, 14 says this, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Psalm 1.3 says this, He, being the righteous man, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. To abide is to trust and to submit and to put yourself under one's authority. When I, when I perform wedding ceremonies, I always like to say that submission is not a bad word. We, we joke about it, and we kind of have this stigma or this taboo that, you know, yes, wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands, we are to love our wives like the, like the Lord loves the church. And so culture has created this, this bad word of submission, but in essence, it is not a bad word. We are putting our authority under Jesus, or we're putting ourselves under Jesus' authority. To disobey is to go on our own way and to fail to receive the fruits of the Spirit. To stay connected in love, we must not just receive it, but we also must give it. Our fellowship with Christ grows as we respond and we return his love to him. Again, it takes two to tango. It's reciprocal. God wants relationship with us. He loves us, so in return, we need to return that love to him. Do you realize the joy in this? Every thought, every action, every attitude can be a good work, another grape on the cluster. By these things, the Father is glorified. So bear fruit that God intended you for your individual purpose. You all have different skills, strengths, spiritual gifts. Use that individual gift that God's given you for his purpose. Bearing fruit, however, requires a lifelong commitment. And it takes work and discipline. No plant casually produces a lot of fruit. Instead, it's a slow process, a structured process, a process that produces fruit only in season. That's why self-control may, uh, may be listed last among the fruits of the Spirit. 
Perhaps it's at the top of the tree because it's the most difficult to harvest. Uh, as a man, at least, self-control is something hard for a lot of us, right? It's the one that I know when I talk to students, they don't want to talk about because they have no self-control. Social distancing, what is that? But maybe that's why it's the hardest to harvest and why it's at the top of the tree because it takes more work because it's difficult. An orchard expert said that occasionally a fruit tree will give all its energy to growing wood and leaves but little or no energy to bearing fruit. To correct this condition, the farmer will take an axe and make a deep wound in its trunk close to the ground. That uh, severe procedure almost always produces a change. The next year, the tree gives an excellent yield. This process is called the fruit of suffering. Oftentimes, God uses a trial as an axe or suffering as a pruning knife so that we may stop challenging or channeling all of our energies in the pursuit of temporal things. Sorrow, tribulation, bad health, disappointment, they all have a way of stimulating spiritual growth and fruitfulness if we allow it. Spiritual fruitfulness often comes through the pruning knife of affliction. Lastly, this morning I want us to see that when abiding in Christ... God wants us to be full of joy. God wants us to be full of joy. Verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 10 may be understood as an outflow of seeking God in his word and petitioning him in prayer. We listen to the commands of Christ in Scripture, and we ask for strength to carry them out. I want you to listen carefully to this. That is, every time we pray for anything, we pray for it to fit perfectly with God's will. When we pray, we need to pray for it to fit perfectly with God's will. Not mine, not yours, but His. And in doing that, we know, because Scripture promises it, that he will grant our request. Verse 8, and it will be done for you. Verse 11 is key also. To abide on the vine, to bear much fruit, to abide in God's love, these things is joy to its fullest. Abiding in the vine, bearing much fruit, abiding in God's love, that is joy to its absolute fullest. The fruit of the Spirit is a much more joyful way to live than the filth of the world. I'd rather be joyful than happy. There's a difference. Joy is not happiness. Again, happiness depends on circumstances. Rather, joy is a deep, settled inner pleasure. It is the assurance and confidence in our relationship with the Father and with Christ, and it fills the heart with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that ignites the heart to serve God. When we have unspeakable joy, when it's full of glory, that ignites our heart to serve God. Because again, it is no longer our heart's desire, but His. In conclusion, in every garden, 
in every vineyard, there's an opportunity to be discouraged. I have the opportunity at times to speak with different sport teams, whether it's at Rossville Middle or Chattanooga Valley Middle or Ridgeland High School or doing chapel at Oakwood Christian Academy. And I always like to tell students and athletes, uh, just because it, it stuck with me, I don't even remember where I heard it, but that in every opportunity there is difficulty, but in every difficulty there's an opportunity. And that's what it's saying here. In every garden, in every vineyard, there's an opportunity to be discouraged. But again, it all depends on how you look at it. We might see that weeds are thriving, insects are feasting, mildew flourishes, disease finds an outdoor home. But in every life, likewise, there are elements that can hinder the product of a healthy fruit. Again, things can get in our lives that will hinder us from bearing fruit. And it would be easy with all the negative elements in our lives to become discouraged in the vineyard that is John chapter 15. It would be easy to quietly think, I can't do it. There's just too much guilt. I've tried this before. I'm frustrated in the search. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't want to bear anything anymore. If that is where you are, I want you to listen to this wonderful truth. If we let God direct our path, we won't be tired in the work of bearing fruit. We won't be stressed. We won't be confused. We will simply bear fruit and enjoy the process. Our main point this morning is this. A branch on a vine is united with the vine in a life-giving way. Literally, the nutrients of the vine are passed on to the branch to keep it connected, growing, and strong. This is what it means for a disciple to be united with Christ. Here it is. Being a disciple of Jesus means being united with him, abiding in Christ. We must realize that God is serious about the fruit in our lives. He is serious about wanting to transform our lives, our hearts, and our character. They say that character is who you are when no one's watching. Integrity is when your words and your actions line up over time. Again, this is not about behavior modification. This is about heart transformation. So when we speak of fruit, what exactly do we mean? What will be produced in our lives when we yield to God? How will we know if fruit is being produced through us? There are three basic fruits that God bears in the lives of his children. Real quickly, they're these. Number one, sanctification. That is, we become more like him. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Colossians 1.10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work for increasing in the knowledge of God. So the first fruit is sanctification. That is, we become more like him. Secondly, spirituality. That is, we behave more like him. Again, we see that and we saw that through the fruits of the spirits in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And then lastly, souls. And this is the one that... Um, I just have a passion for, uh, more so lately, I've been just reiterating this to our students in church. I want to reiterate to you. 
Souls in the sense, one, that we need to see people the way that Jesus do. And in that, we are burdened like him. When's the last time you had a burden for somebody because you knew they were lost and dying and going to hell? There's only two options. It's heaven or hell. Eternity with Christ or eternity apart from Christ. We need to be burdened like him. So as we close, there's a few questions that need to be asked of you here and of you at home. Number one, are you in the vine? Have you ever been saved and joined with Jesus? Number two, are you abiding in the vine? Are you drawing your strength from God so that he's able to produce his fruit through your life? Not only are you in the vine or are you abiding in the vine, but also are you bearing his fruit today? Where do you stand with Jesus? If God has revealed areas in your life today and this morning that need to be pruned back or otherwise dealt with, then I challenge you to turn to Jesus and let him take care of any needs that you have. Will you pray with me? Dear and Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that when we abide in you, we will bear much fruit. And God, I hope and pray that we are reminded that apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, I pray as we sing, Lord, that we would do some self-reflection, that we would um, look deep in our lives and see if we are abiding in you, are we bearing much fruit? Where do we stand with you today? So God, again, I pray as always that the truth of your word resonates and that as we leave, that again, it's just not nice words. It's not just a nice message, but we apply it. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. We must apply what we've heard today to our lives. So not that we're just better Christians so that we can bear much fruit, so that that friend, that loved one, whoever it might be, notices it in our lives and says, why are you so different? And it gives us an opportunity to share our faith, to have a gospel conversation, and possibly see someone's life go from darkness to light. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.